Hey everybody, Rick here from Fueled by the Outdoors, and I'm here to tell you about a wonderful company, Saddies, custom ammunition and gun works. Aaron Satterfield and his family have been turning out some awesome game loads lately. Uh, I've been using the Saddies Fatties uh, turkey loads, and I gotta tell you, they stop a bird dead. Chris uh, used a 20 gauge this year, I used the 12, Josh used a 20, and uh, my son actually killed one with a 410 this year with uh, one of the Saddies loads, and my god, do they put the birds down like crazy. Aaron Satterfield and his family have a wide-ranging array of ammunition, custom game loads, predator loads, turkey loads, the Saddies Fatty, and also they do gun work. Please get a hold of them with any questions that you have in terms of your custom ammunition needs. Go to saddiesllc.com. That's S-A-T-T-I-E-S-L-L-C.com and tell them that Rick from Fueled by the Outdoors sent you. down baby oh my gosh that was freaking awesome this is my first public land buck this is my second set of the season i can't oh my gosh i just heard him fall i just heard him fall uh. i just shot my kentucky buck Fueled by the Outdoors, I'm your host Rick Cates and this episode today is very special. It is one of our panel members from the Mobile Hunters Expo. This is uh, their way of killing and hunting big deer, so I'm going to shut up and let you guys listen. Here you go. Alright, well good morning everybody. My name is Joshua Trollinger. I've got Hunter Hogan with me today, and we are going to run a full-on Q&A. We've got a few topics that we want to cover as far as we're both target archers. So we spend our lives traveling the country, shooting national tournaments, and we feel like there's some aspects from the 3D world that can be tied into the hunting world and make you more efficient. Um, you know, there's such a parallel to 3D and hunting, but there is a lot of information that doesn't get talked about because most shops look at this from a hunting situation, whereas we look at it from how can we be the best archer, which will then make us the best hunter as well. So we want to cover a few, cover a few of those topics, um, but this is a Q&A, so we want you guys to ask questions. We want to be able to answer them. We don't want to just stand up here and spitball all day. So please, you know, if you guys got questions, raise your hand and Rick or these guys will come around and bring a mic to you or else you can come up here and we'll repeat the question for you. So give you a little bit about myself, Missouri born and raised, moved to Kansas for about six years. Um, I've spent my life in archery probably the last 10 years competing pretty heavily. Uh, I shoot the semi-pro ranks in ASA. We've got a few competitors here that I play with from time to time. Um, but hunting wise, I travel Missouri, Kansas, Arkansas, Nebraska, um, and then we're broadening out. I've been to um, out west, Wyoming, places like that too. So um, I'll let Hunter introduce himself and we'll get moving. Yeah, my name's Hunter Hogan. Um, shot target archery for a long time now, ever since I was a little kid, and uh, recently went into the pro circuit the last three years and uh, competed at the professional level in that. So. Uh, like he said, we travel around, hit up a lot of shoots over the year, and uh, kind of our slang in archery is there is no off-season. Um, our tournaments start in February, and they go to September, and hunting obviously goes September to January. So uh, we have no off-season. It's a, it's a life we live. We're always doing something with our bows to improve, something with our arrows, something with our form. Um, and it's, it's something we do year-round. Uh, so there is no off-time, and it's something we study consistently. So uh, there's a lot of misconception when it comes to saddle hunting, I believe, on, on uh, it disables you from shooting properly or having proper form or, you know, people think you can't shoot behind you or shoot on one side or the other. So 
Uh, if you guys have questions on, on how to properly do that, uh, we've spent countless hours in the saddle and, and practice shooting out of them and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, we're here to answer those questions. Josh, real quick, do uh, go over an example of your form shooting your bow in your saddle just to give people an idea because a lot of people, when they look at a saddle, they think that their cam is going to hit their bridge and it's going to restrict movement from shot opportunities. So give us an example of kind of what it actually looks like. All right, so I'll do a couple examples, and the biggest thing is most people think, well, the string is going to get in the way, or my bridge is going to get in the way of my string. My bottom cam is going to come in contact. I promise you, if you have hunted out of a tree stand at all, you've probably taken a shot where you felt unstable. The advantage to this saddle is I'm connected to this tree 100% of the time. Being connected to this tree, it's the same as standing on solid ground. We get up off the ground, we get a little shaky, we get off balance and we worry about, we've only got so much platform to stand on. How can I get around this tree? With a tree stand, majority of the time, you've got about a 180 degree window from straight strong side to straight weak side. With a saddle, and I'll demonstrate a couple of these angles, there's not a point of this tree now that I cannot kill an animal. And I'll go through a couple of those. From a simple strong side, if you keep your weight in your saddle, you have as much if not more stability than you are when you're just standing on a platform or standing on the ground. You can notice that the string will not get in contact with my bridge at all. On a strong side shot, there's plenty of room. The same that one of the most awkward shots is if you have an animal directly underneath you. There's two things that go along with this. One is the ability when you're not tethered into a tree, how can I make that shot directly underneath me? Having this saddle, having a platform attached, I have so much more stability to where I can turn almost vertical. And I can make a shot directly underneath me. The next thing that gets brought up is you know, if we're using this tree as blockage if the deer is coming and primarily I set up to where I think the deer is going to come in front of me so that I can use this as camouflage and I'm a big guy. So you guys standing right in front of me, there's not much profile here. You really can't see me, right? But as that deer comes around this tree and I don't want to shoot him on the weak side, I want to continue to the strong side, I can keep this tree directly in between me and him and go all the way around this tree to where now I can make the shot on that side. Or if I get to a point that maybe there's limbs or there's something on this side of the tree that I can't get around, I've got two different ways now. Keeping my weight in my saddle, I can shoot to the weak side. I can take my hip, go against the tree, turn myself around, and now I'm fully supported. I can even let go almost off the platform and I'm here. So now I can shoot on the weak side as well as if you feel more comfortable standing up, I can tuck myself underneath my tether pivot around and now I've got all the tension that I need to shoot all the way back around even to this side and this tether is keeping me tied to the tree so it's making it a lot safer. Hunter, real quick, so the viewers and everybody here attendees can see, can you show exactly what Josh just did because uh, Josh was on the back side of the tree using the tether coming around you to secure you for those offside shots. Um, and then after you do that, I want you to talk about what is the difference between a weak side and a strong side shot when it comes to archery hunting in a saddle? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, everybody here has hunted out of a tree stand before, so uh, there's, there's similarities that you can compare. You know, if, if I'm just sitting in this tree stand like this, this is my strong side. I don't have to do anything awkward to shoot over here. If I've got to turn around in my stand and shoot right here as a right-handed shooter, I've got like the tree in the way. And as you all know, like if you're, if you're hunting with like a, a harness or something, you got your harness tether and like trying to shoot this weak side is what we call it, just because it's not as free on that. So. Um, me and Josh have two different styles of saddle hunting. Um, obviously we, we both use like a small stand or a platform, but kind of preference on that. 
there are like advantages and disadvantages to each. So like obviously carrying a stand-in is going to be heavier. For me, I would sacrifice a couple pounds more to carry in a stand for the advantages that I get. But just because you're shooting from a saddle platform as Josh just presented, it doesn't disable you from shooting anywhere that you need to shoot. So um, when I'm shooting a stand, I'm using my saddle as a replacement for a harness um, is really all I'm doing. And it gives me a lot of options when it comes to shooting strong and weak side. So now I no longer have a weak side. I can stand in my platform. I can shoot all the way over here, just like I'm out of a tree stand, or I can tether back, lean back in my saddle, and I can even brace my knees against my seat if I want and shoot this side. So this is my strong side for my saddle. And there's awkward situations sometimes when you're in a tree and you need to shoot around limbs or don't have a perfect shooting zone that like I'll tether way out, you know, even farther and I can lean way back and get different shooting options um, and work around trees and limbs. And I mean, hunting's all about it's never a perfect situation and you just got to get narrowing them however you can, wherever they are. So uh, this really opens your options up for that. Another question I want to ask, and Josh, I'm going to let you go first. What is your typical setup when you're walking in the woods? How are you packing your saddle and your platform and your bow, backpack? How, how are you strapping everything to it? And then I'm going to ask Hunter as well. So right now I'm using a uh, Mystery Ranch Treehouse 38. So it's a soft-sided backpack that has some structure. And typically where I hunt, I'm a minimum of two miles in from my truck, whether I'm e-biking in or I'm walking in. In Nebraska, I was 6.2 miles from where I left the truck to where I hunted and actually killed a buck. In doing that, I had to pack a lot of gear. So people look at this and say, well, going saddle hunting is more lightweight. It's, you know, I can take less stuff. There's truth to that and there's some negative to that. If you look at a climbing stand or you look at some of the larger um, lock-on stands, just your uh, gear that you're carrying in is in that 10 to 15 pound range or if you get into climbers, you're in that 20 pound range. So I take my pack and on the very back of my pack, I will put my flat form flat to my pack and then I'll turn all four of my sticks that bundle together on their side and lay them flat. So literally, I have a very slim profile to the point that there's about 14 inches of stuff off of my back, but I have a belt support now and I have shoulder straps. So literally my pack weighs in that 25 to 26 pound range, but that's my cold weather gear. That's my kill kit. That's my, my sticks, my platform. Um, all of my clothes are in there, um, water bottles are in there, camera gear, GoPros, extra batteries, all the rest of that stuff. So floating in that 25 to 26, even up to 30 pounds when it's super, super cold and I've got heavyweight stuff, I now have all of my gear for essentially what you would pack in with a jacket and a climber. And I can actually go to the woods and do everything that I have to do. Hunter, what about you? What is your typical setup going into the woods? How are you packing the stand in, your sticks, your bow, everything? How, how do you go in the woods and carry all your gear? Yeah, my situation's a little different. Um, I'm, I'm rolling with a cameraman, uh, so we're, we're packing in all sorts of stuff. Um, and camera gear's heavy. <laughs> if you're going to do, like, cinematic camera stuff, the correct camera arm for getting steady, um, GoPros, second angles, all that stuff. They don't make those lightweight. So, um, you know, our gear being lightweight outside of cameras is extremely crucial because we're already weighed down with the camera gear. So um, when I'm rolling in, I'm carrying uh, this stand um, with sticks similar to this setup down here. Uh, sticks integrate to the stand and what that allows me to do is I can flip my seat and have a backpack on there. And the most important thing in my setup with, with carrying all the extra camera gear and stuff is having my sticks against my stand. Um, what that does is it puts a weight closer to your back. And, you know, whenever you have like sticks on the outside of a pack or on the outside of your, of your system, 
Um, it creates more leverage that's going to pull against you, even if they're lightweight. You, you know, you're doubling the weight of them because they're farther out on your back. So having the sticks right up against my back is, is crucial. And then that allows me to put a pack on the backside. And the pack is exclusively for camera gear, camera arms, camera arm base, GoPros, um, attachments for all that, extra batteries, um, all the stuff that you need for, you know, a filming a hunt and stuff. So that's kind of what my setup looks like. Um, I'm sitting out of the stand for the advantages I already talked about. And then my cameraman is actually hunting out of this platform. Um, so we carry in a platform for him. I've got all the stuff to climb up in the tree. I pull up his platform and then set it seat height, 100 degrees away is a proper spot for a cameraman. And uh, yeah, that's how we set up for, for climbing. All right, so we've covered our setups and how we typically use the mobile gear to hunt. Does anybody have any further questions about our gear, the way we set up, anything that you've seen us talk about that you want to ask deeper on before we move into the actual archery side of this? Yep. What is the most difficult shot from, from your stand, your setup? What would you say is the most difficult shot, and how does that fall? Is it a 7 out of 10? Okay. So the question was, what is the most difficult shot out of our setup? And then how do we rank that compared to maybe the easiest shot? Um, I'll cover first and I'll let Hunter go from his. I truly believe that it is the super down angle shot directly underneath you because it's the most awkward of all the rest of the shots that are out there because you're in an essence, you're giving yourself to God is what it feels like because you're getting completely out in an offside shot to shoot underneath you, and you're really having to rely on the saddle. It also is one of the most difficult for two reasons, and this actually will tie into the archery side of things. The deer that you see laying on the ground, I shot in Kansas last year at four and a half yards. Okay, a lot of guys don't think about this, but at four and a half yards, 24 foot in the air, that deer was not a four and a half yard shot. That was a 56 yard shot at four and a half yards due to the increase of angle. He was a 52 degree down angle. So not only having to lean over this, but having shot enough and tested enough equipment, and actually I have an app on my phone that helps me with angle compensation, knowing that there was a trail that went right by me at four and a half yards, knowing that at a 52 degree angle, I had to shoot that deer at 56. If you'd have shot it with a 20 yard pin, you shot over top of him. So learning what the angle compensation is based on the height that you're at and being able to get yourself over. If I was in a tree stand with a regular harness, I would have never been able to make that shot or never felt comfortable. In this instance, I was literally able to suck my tether up, get to the tree and get leaned over like you saw. The other portion of that that I think is difficult is learning when we're taught shooting archery from a, a ground position, we're always taught that you draw on your target and then you come over. Well, if you watch, and I'll demonstrate this when Hunter is um, telling you his theory, if you do that in a saddle situation or even a tree stand situation, what ends up happening is as you lean over, this angle that's inside my arm and my waist is gonna get tighter, tighter, tighter. Well, now your peep alignment is off, your anchor point is off, the uh, alignment between your sight and that is off. So learning that when you're standing on the ground and you're shooting down to 20, maybe 30 degrees, it's one thing to draw full straight out and then lean over at the hips. But when you're in an elevated position, you really need to get yourself turned, get to the spot that you can look directly in and then come to full draw so that you keep your shooting form correct. Yeah, that pretty much covers it on, uh, on the hardest angle kind of in any situation no matter what your setup is for me personally my hardest is probably um shooting on the other side of my camera man i mean i've got him in a tether right here we've got a camera arm sticking out right here so if i've got a deer coming in on this side you know i've got to figure out whether i need to like tether out and shoot around him or this is where a saddle comes in and does things that you couldn't do otherwise but I can swing around and find a knee rest like right here 
and shoot on this side. So it allows me to come pretty much completely out of my stand. If you've got stuff pushed in right, you can put some side angle there, uh, especially in like a, a saddle platform. You can put a lot of side pressure on that stuff. Um, but I can swing around. My cameraman can swing around out of the way um, in his tether, and it allows me to shoot completely on this side. So uh, I guess my setup is kind of built to where I don't have a difficult shot or try not to have a difficult shot. Uh, if I need to shoot a deer right under me on this side, I can, I can use my stand. On this side, I can use my saddle. So um, kind of best of both worlds for shooting ability out of this. Hunter, we've got, I've got a question, or we've yeah. got an uh, attendee here with a question talking about stand height. So on average, about how, how off the ground are y'all normally set up? And one other thing I thought of, do y'all normally hunt mostly private land or do you hunt public? Um, I hunt exclusively public. I would love to hunt some private someday, <laughs> but right now uh, it's not an option. So um, I'm hunting public in every state and, um, you know, you do the best you can with it, um, the opportunities that you have. So, um, yeah, stand height. Ooh, that's a, that's a tricky one. Uh, so I do a lot of observation sits. Um, I'm not always like going in for a kill. Um, we do a lot of scouting, probably 90% scouting. Um, five out of seven days of, of a week of hunting is spent, you know, glassing or, or honestly really high in a tree. I mean, we've got up to 50 foot before and I mean, that's insane, but the more you can see, the more you can study, you know, so. Uh, we actually had an observation sit in Missouri this year that we were 43 foot up in the tree and the buck just so happened to be a couple hundred yards away and came right under us when we shot him from 43 foot. Um, so, I mean, that was insane. But whenever I'm going in for hunting and kill, I usually, I usually am over 18 foot, um, but 18 to 25 is, is kind of what I shoot for in there, um, which I know is higher than usual, but I like to be out of view of the deer and uh, kind of give myself the best situation for shooting some distance. Uh, and when you're at like 12, 15 foot, it kind of disables you from doing that. So uh, we're shooting for really high setups. Um, me and my cameraman are both tall with long legs, so we set our sticks just as far apart as we can. You know, uh, we got two people carrying stuff in, so if we need to throw a couple extra sticks in there, we can. Um, but yeah, that's probably my average height, probably 20, 25 foot for hunting. So for me, it's almost the opposite. Um, it's really situationally based. In the early season with the canopy being a lot lower, I've killed deer at nine feet. Um, I've shot one of my biggest bucks that's hanging up there. I shot at 13 feet and I killed him at 11 yards at 13 feet. Um, this deer I was 24 foot up so it's really situationally for me depending on what the canopy is doing and to Hunter's point like I want to be a maximum height that I can increase my efficiency of range and being able to visually see more as well as being able to visually shoot further um, I think a lot of places um, if you're talking hardwoods especially in late season when you've lost all the foliage and the trees are pretty bare I mean, on average, I'm probably 26 to 30 feet in those times of the year, whereas in September, October, I may be 10 to 13 feet off the ground. It just depends on where I'm at. Um, I think one of the things that saddle hunting and mobile hunting, um, hybrid hunting like Hunter does, the traditional, you know, setups are picking some big bear tree that you can get up high in, whereas with this, it gives you such an opportunity that instead of finding an area that gives you an opportunity to kill a deer i can now pick a specific tree no matter what the tree is and i can find a way to now get in that tree whether it has limbs from the ground to the top i can find a way to find a hole that puts me in that killable range of that animal and not have to worry so much about how high i get or or what my background is because the saddle hunting allows the tree to you know, block anything coming in front of me, and then the same thing, anything coming from behind me, I'm keeping the same profile of this, 
Whereas in most cases, I mean, if you look at just a, a standard tree stand and setting, I mean, you're, I keep a natural angle to this tree. Whereas in tree stand hunting, the traditional way, you're just a big block sticking out off the side of it. So um, hope that answers kind of what you were looking for. Yeah, one more thing I was going to add to that. I, I don't necessarily shoot for a specific height. Um, I'm more so shooting for like one branch into the canopy. Um, and that can be so dependent on different areas that you're in. I mean, if you're hunting like pine forests and stuff, that's probably way up there. If you're hunting Kansas, it's probably 10 foot, you know. So uh, that's really what I'm looking for when I pick a tree out is I want to be one branch into the canopy. That way I can shoot around like one branch of canopy and I'm not having like two or three branches of canopy, you know, blocking me and I'm not underneath for visual. So that's kind of my actual goal whenever I set a stand. Josh, talk to us about body positioning, shooting out of a saddle as you do, to be able to do offside shots and everything with your knee control and body control and be able to stay steady and be able to make those shots, especially at distance. Yeah, so that is the thing that I enjoy the most about a saddle and where Hunter uses the stand as a traditional setup with the saddle as a harness more or less he's able to do a lot um, where me being a bigger guy and maybe a little less flexible than him I can utilize this harness and tree so um, the biggest thing that I have found is even when you're standing up you guys will be outside shooting your bows and you'll realize that sometimes you feel like you're wobbling around even just standing on the ground Whereas in this saddle, if you keep your weight in your saddle, you use your knees against the tree or you use foot positioning on the platform, you can get to points to where your body is so much more controlled than when you stand up, lock your legs, and you're standing on the ground and you start to get wobbly. So there's a lot of advantages. And I tell everybody, when you start this process, don't let the first time you get up a tree be when you get out there to go hunting do exactly what we're doing here put your platform a foot off the ground get out in your yard stick a 3d target out there and work on shots i mean i probably about mid-july i'll hang my stuff in my backyard with extra ropes and tethers and stuff that i got that i never take down and when i go practice i'm not really practicing on the ground i do enough of that on the target stuff that we do i'm literally getting in the most awkward angles i can in this tree stand because it teaches you body control because as much as you think you know exactly how to do something it's going to be different this tree right now is totally straight almost i've hunted in trees that are at a 20 or 30 degree bend and i may be on the high side but all of a sudden i got to make a shot on the low side where i'm hanging out underneath and i've got to figure out how to like hunter said put side pressure on this platform and if you can imagine my tether is here instead of out here so i'm having to learn how to control my body so that I can get in that proper shooting form and I can keep myself stable. So my biggest tip would be get yourself off the ground a little bit, throw a target out in your yard and get yourself in the most awkward spot to shoot from because you're going to learn real quick. Like I said, if you draw like you're standing on the ground and then tilt over, all of a sudden this angle is going to pull up. And a lot of times all of a sudden you're going to feel your bow go. It's going to go forward because you're not able to keep that shooting tee and keep your chest open because you've gotten a different angle. So put yourself in those angles so you can be prepared by the time you get there. Because the worst thing you want to do is do everything right, have that deer within a killable zone, have an awkward shot that you've never practiced, and all of a sudden you lose that opportunity, either miss or arrow falls off the rest, or you can't even draw your bow. Let's talk about proper practice and extend your range and how that, does that apply when we're talking about saddle hunting? Um, talking about like archery related. Okay. Uh, I feel like there's a order of importance when it comes to archery and uh, extending your range. Um, right there. I think a I think a good arrow setup is is kind of the first key to that. Um, I know this is a heavily discussed topic, but heavy heavy versus light arrows, right? I mean, everybody has their opinion on it, but uh, do your research on it. And the heavy arrow deal is not everything it's 
set up to be. Um, if you're going to extend your range and you're going to shoot 40, 50, 80, 90, 100 yards and stuff, if you got a heavy arrow set up and your sight is one yard off or you make one little error, you're either going to wound that deer or miss them completely because your arrow drop is significant at that range. Um, so I feel like a, a good arrow setup is, is the first key. Um, tuning your bow to that setup is, is kind of number two to that, I think. Um, you know, having proper arrow flight. I know Josh preaches like anybody can shoot anything at 30 yards with an untuned bow or anything, but if you're going to extend past that, that's really important for accuracy. Um, and I think the other thing as far as practicing, practice past your range that you're comfortable. If you want to shoot a deer at 50 yards, go practice at 80 at home. And, um, you know, work on your setup, change stuff until and practice on yourself until you can't fail at that range. Um, it's not about who can, you know, shoot a group like this at 80. Um, if you've got three or four flyers that are way outside that, it's about putting every single arrow in that dot at 80 yards. So do it till you can't fail um, and just practice past the range that you're wanting to shoot at. Um, if you go shoot at 80 or 100 yards, even as uncomfortable as that is, when you step back up to 50 and shoot, it's going to feel like a breeze. And that's just how it is. And so, um, yeah, practice past your range. So I'll echo a lot of what he said. Um, I think that from the target side, we do so much tuning and research and understanding of what our arrows are doing. So to put it into perspective, um, a 50 yard shot, if you misjudge that shot by two yards, it's a four to five inch miss, even at a 280, 290 feet per second bow. So where we're shooting quarter size dots in competition, and we're judging those dots. If we're off two or three yards, it's the difference between a 12 and a 10 or a 12 and an eight. And sometimes depending on the size of the target, it can be a zero. So when you throw that into the hunting world and you start looking at, maybe you range that animal and that animal came in at 50 yards and he continued to walk and all of a sudden he's at 47 and you still have your sight dialed at 50 and not to beat a dead horse, but you're shooting a seven, eight, 900 grain arrow that three yard difference at that weight is a foot miss. So now you have completely missed that animal. So there's a balance point. And I, I challenge guys all the time that are into the heavy arrow side. I'm lucky enough, Hunter's lucky enough, we've got ridiculous long draw lengths, so we get a little bit of the best of both worlds. I'm shooting a 500 grain arrow at like almost 320. So I've got, still I've got a lot of velocity, I've got a lot of mass behind that. But I'm still having to learn that that 500 grain arrow, when I get to 80 yards, if I'm off two or three yards, I'm missing that animal. So it's still extending your range, like he said, learn your arrow setup, learn the tune of your bow, and then go out and practice those longer yardages. And the main thing that I would say to look for as far as flight and all that goes is no matter what you're shooting, you have a point on your bow it may be 30 yards, it may be 40 yards, depending on speed and weight, before your arrow actually starts to come down. So start looking into that and playing with that a little bit because it will teach you that when you're shooting, you can find that now, okay, at 40 yards, my arrow starts to fall. Now I can go to 45 and take that same shot with my sight set at 40, knowing my arrow is just gonna start falling and start playing with that miss, figuring out how much you're gonna be off if you misjudge that five yards or that animal moves five yards. So that in the heat of the moment, like I set my pin at 40 yards and it never moves because I know from zero to 45 yards, it's a matter of a three inch lower aim point or a three inch higher aim point. Which that, what that does for me is now my pin gap on my bow, when we test broadheads, I'm testing them at 100, 110 yards. I'm not shooting arrows at 30 yards to see what my broadheads do because the further you get 40, 50 plus, the bigger those failures show themselves. So take yourself out there and play with those things and find out so that in the heat of the moment, you're not having to stop and adjust or switch pins. You just can very quickly make a move on that animal and still be able to harvest that animal. Hey everybody, Rick here from Fueled by the Outdoors, and I'm here to tell you about a wonderful company, Saddies, custom ammunition and gun works. Aaron Satterfield and his family have been turning out some awesome 
game loads lately. Uh, I've been using the Saddies Fatties uh, turkey loads, and I got to tell you, they stop a bird dead. Chris uh, used a 20 gauge this year. I used the 12. Josh used a 20. And uh, my son actually killed one with a 410 this year with uh, one of the Saddies loads. And my God, do they put the birds down like crazy. Aaron Satterfield and his family have a wide ranging array of ammunition, custom game loads, predator loads, turkey loads, the Saddies Fatty, and also they do gun work. Please get a hold of them with any questions that you have in terms of your custom ammunition needs. Go to saddiesllc.com. That's S A T T I E S L L C.com and tell them that Rick from Fueled by the Outdoors sent you. Let's talk about the value and the importance of your third axis when you're talking about especially like saddle hunting, but also how does this apply from shooting on the ground if you're in tournament archery and then also when you get elevated shooting these different angles? So a lot of hunting setups, um, and we know this a lot more from the target side because we're really trying to get to that pinpoint accuracy, right? A lot of setups out there don't have a third axis adjustment on a site. And as a bow hunter, we all shoot from an elevated position. When we shoot from that elevated position, once we start breaking into that 30, 40, 45 degree down angle, when we start to watch our bubble, we'll see that our bubble may look level in there. The problem is the way that the axis works on a bow is you have a first axis that is... You want to hold this? Yeah. I want to hold that 12-pound thing. You want to hold this real quick? Yep. All right, so when we're talking first, second, and third axis, okay, You've got an axis adjustment here that tilts this way is your first axis. What that's going to do is as you move this side up and down, if this first axis here on this post is correct, that means my sight will track vertically on the same plane. When I look at my um, second axis, it's actually and how this moves up here. So if I square this up and then I check my second axis and get my sight to where my pins whether they're a vertical pin or even horizontal pins are all in the straight line and not tilted one way or another. What that does is as you get longer yardage, if you're shooting a single pin, if this is not tracking perfectly, all of a sudden you'll notice that as you get 40, 50 yards, man, I was shooting dead straight at 20 and I get to 40, 50 and I'm hitting way left. That's all in what this is moving on your axis. Where it gets even more crucial is when we throw an angle into that. Angle is your third axis, which is actually the face of this site being square to your riser in this direction, if that is out, as I tilt down, it's gonna cause that pin to be further out either to the right or further in. And that's gonna cause major left and right misses. So when you are shooting from a tree stand, everybody being elevated in a position and you're aiming down, like I talked about with killing this deer, if I didn't have a square third axis and I got at that 52 or 56 degree angle down, I could have missed as much as a foot, even though he was at four or five yards because of where my pin and, and relevance to where my riser and my line of sight is. So when you're looking at buying gear and you're looking at um, trying to be the most accurate that you can be, this setup is probably one of the most crucial pieces secondary to your arrow setup. So if you don't have a good arrow setup and you don't have a good sight setup, that's why you guys will find when you get out and you're shooting, all of a sudden it's like, man, I was great at 20 or 30 yards. I get to 50 or 60 and I'm missing way right, missing way left. And all of a sudden I get in an angle and I'm high right or low left, whatever. All of that is built into this. So it's very crucial to pay attention to this. I would rather shoot a 10-year-old bow with a good sight and a good arrow than a brand new bow with a subpar sight and subpar arrow. That's... That is so important. That, I mean, your arrow is what's going to kill the animal. Your arrow determines your accuracy. And your sight is something that needs to be adjustable for all the stuff that he just talked about. Um, when you're talking first, second, and third axis, if any of those are off in different situations, if your second axis is off, if your first axis is off, you're going to be hitting left and right way differently when you move your sight up and down um, from like 20 to 60 to 80 to 100 yards. And then on that third axis, the more angles you get, you're going to, if I have to shoot at this angle, which is a pretty common angle out of a tree stand, 
I mean, if your third axis is off, you're talking about missing like a foot left or right. I mean, I've seen it before on people's setups. It's extremely crucial. So, yeah, exactly. So it's invest in a good sight, invest in a good arrow, um, even more importantly than a good bow. I mean, that's I, I've had guys that have sights that were set perfectly, and then we go on a stock in Nebraska, and they miss the deer by three foot. I mean, something moved, something got bumped, and it didn't hold. So um, really important when you put that much effort into killing your target buck or killing a deer at all, um, that's a piece of equipment you don't want to skimp on. Josh, discuss the difference when it comes to whitetail hunting, especially from an elevated position, difference in thoughts from a multi-pin site versus a single-pin site, and when would the application between when would the application between those two be valuable, or which one would be your preference? All right, so my preference is, and you can see on this bow, I shoot what's called a vertical two-pin, and I have my top pin as my floater and my or my primary pin and then my secondary pin is going to be my floater and I do that for a reason in the whitetail woods in whether you're ground and stalking or you're hunting out of a tree stand whatever you're always going to have that moment where um, that animal moves maybe you've set your pin and you come to full draw and maybe the deer hears you maybe it, it heard the movement of the, the arrow or your bow or the wind switched or something and you alerted that animal to your presence and it moves five six eight ten yards the reason that i shoot a multi-vertical pin is i don't like the pins from the side because it it blocks my vision through that scope to see all the detail that i want to see on that animal so I shoot the vertical with a dual so that if that happens, I know that that second pin and I've got them set 15 yards apart so that if that deer's at 40 yards and all of a sudden he moves and he uh, moves further away and runs out to 50 or 55, I don't have to let down and stop. I can use that pin gap of 15 yards to then use my second pin as the actual pin that I wanted to, or let's say that he only went seven or eight yards, I can split the difference. And now instead of holding that bottom pin on the animal in the kill zone, I'll just put it on his belly because I know there's a difference there now of seven and a half yards that I'm gonna rise into where that animal's kill zone is. I think for most whitetail hunters that have say a 50 yard max and you are shooting a heavier setup, the multi-pin from the side becomes a more viable option because you can do the same things. And I would challenge you, don't just go set your pins at 20, 30, 40, 50. Go out there and find what your arrow is doing arc-wise and how it's hitting. And you may find that you want to be at 23 yards, 32 yards, 38 yards, 45 yards, because now instead of worrying about that 10-yard gap, you've got a 7-yard gap on those pins. And just like I said about if you're splitting the difference, Let's say that deer comes in and does the same thing with you where you have fixed pins and you can't move your dial to gain yardage. If you've got those split 10 yards apart, you've got a bigger gap now to worry about where if they're six or seven yards apart, now as that animal moves, you're either switching pins or you can do what they call bracketing, which is to put both of those pins over the top of that kill zone. So the lower pin is below it, the upper pin is above it, and you're actually shooting what would be in between those pins at that yardage. So it gives you more versatility versus just the traditional way of 20, 30, 40, 50. The other thing I would say if you're shooting multi-pins is I've seen guys set pins at 10 yards. Unless you're shooting super light poundage, 30, 40 pounds, and you're shooting a super heavy arrow, there's almost zero reason to have a pin uh, shorter than 20 yards. The reason for that is as you get closer in to that 7 to 10 yard range, you're actually gonna find as you get super close, three and five yard range, that you may need to actually shoot your 30 or 40 yard pin versus your top pin because you're actually raising that bow up because of the, the distance between where the arrow leaves the riser and where your sight pin is, there's a bigger gap. So if you've got something set closer than 20 yards, I would challenge you, go home, go to that five yard range and take your 30 yard pin and actually shoot that 30 yard pin at that short range and you'll find out that you actually have a better trajectory and a better aiming point than if you were shooting your 20 yard pin because now you're pulling that bow further down on that animal. Yeah, I think uh, 
I think Josh's setup is obviously an advanced setup, but it is very good for for what he does. And and pretty much the purpose of that is he doesn't have to touch his sight out to 40 yards. If there's a deer within 40 yards, he can shoot it. And I recommend to everyone at least being able to do that. I personally shoot a five pin sight. So I've got my pin set from 20 to 60. If that deer's within 60 yards, I don't have to move my sight. I don't have to remember to set my range on my sight tape. I don't have to like click with the range finder, put it up, move my sight. And then the deer has already taken three more steps. So I got to start over. I got to range again, set my sight, and then I'm ready to shoot, put my range finder away. He's moved again. So um, if he's within 60, I just want to click click them with my rangefinder and draw back and shoot. Um, I think everybody should have a setup that at least out to 40 yards, you don't have to move anything. I see so many people that are shooting a single pin sight and they make mistakes. They forget to set their sight. They are practicing at 60 at home and they forgot to put it back to 20 and then they shoot at a deer at 20 and miss him over his back. Um, and on top of that, there is no perfect situation in hunting, just like we were talking about on shooting angle. Uh, deer aren't always just going to stand at 15 yards broadside and not move while you make a shot. So um, being able to minimize the steps that you have to take, minimize the mistakes that you're going to make on killing that deer out to an extended range um, is really key to success on that. So I would recommend either a two or three pin at least. Um, I don't I don't think it's effective for anybody to shoot a single pin for hunting. And I know a lot of people are like, well, I don't like the multiple pins. I don't like the crowded. What if I shoot the wrong pin? All of that can be fixed with a little bit of practice. Um, once you get used to pins, you can, you can get different color pins for different ranges. Go practice at each range with each pin, and that'll fix that whole problem, and you'll gain a lot of confidence in it. It's not as bad as people think it is to shoot multi-pins. So... Um, yeah, I recommend multiple pins. Uh, another thing, when Josh was referring to a floater pin, what he's saying is his his farthest pin down, which mine would be 60, um, his would be his second pin down in his sight. That's the one that he's using when he moves his whole housing to shoot farther range. He's got a sight tape on there, and that's the pin that he's adjusting with. So, like, whenever I'm shooting... Uh, my 60 yard pin, my sight tape set at 60. If I need to extend past 60, I'm gonna, you know, if a deer's at 78 yards, I'm gonna click them with my range finder, adjust it to 78, and then roll with that 60 yard pin at, set at 78. So that's your floater pin. Um, and in my thought, if, if they're past 60 yards or if they're past 40 yards, you probably should have time to to adjust everything um, you're not want to you're not going to want to take a shot like that with the deer moving around not a perfect situation uh, it's a pretty far shot past that so um, yeah that's my thoughts on it question for josh how does competition archery apply to bow hunting to make you a more confident bow hunter I would say that a lot of what we have discussed as far as competency in our equipment, um, when you are shooting foam and what we do in 3D, it's about as perfect a condition as you can pick, right? But when you're hunting a live animal, when you're hunting in situations where weather, clothing, wind, setup, uh, ability to stay solid in your saddle, all the rest of that stuff, um, plays such a huge factor in my opinion what we do in the tournament world and the time that we spend with our equipment I know that when I get to the woods everything in that bow I don't have to think about and I think that's the biggest advantage you know I'm a proponent of shops I think shops are a very valuable piece to this industry however we got to remember they're a business and their biggest business is to move product and a lot of guys will look at 
they have to charge for time, right? So the stuff that we do at home, the time that we spend learning certain aspects of our bow, if you're going to take it to them because you don't have time, they're going to charge you for that. And it is money well spent, whether it's $50 an hour, $100 an hour, whatever, to get a super tune on a bow, to have them work with you on form and setup and all the rest of that stuff. That little investment, when you're walking around in some cases with a $1,500 to $3,000 piece in your hand, why would you sacrifice that 100 bucks to know that every tool that is in that setup is perfect? So I would recommend, um, if you can't do it yourself, find a shop that's reputable, that's got reputable techs, and spend that little bit of extra money, whether it's a lesson, whether it's tuning, um, whether it's just trying different things because the bow that you buy off the shelf and the equipment that you put on it it may make it look like it's ready to go but that doesn't mean that it is exactly where it needs to be to be the most efficient so i would spend that a little bit of extra time to make sure you get that added bit of confidence so when you get out there that's the last thing you got to worry about so josh that closes out i want you to talk about this new state record typical buck that you killed in kansas on public land I want to know the story on this deer for all the listeners. It's sitting right in front of Josh if y'all can't see that deer. I'll make it a lot quicker than the podcast. I did a podcast with uh, Fueled by the Outdoor Guys that put on the Mobile Hunter Expo, so you can listen to the full story there. But um, I was lucky enough that I hunt both public and private. And in Kansas, um, we were on some public ground because I run enough cameras on private that I hadn't really found anything I wanted to chase. And so we just started bouncing around public to public and one night after two days of chasing some good deer on on public that we just couldn't seal the deal on uh, my buddy looked at me and said hey have you been on this other piece of or piece of public that we found and I said no I've never been up there so uh, on Tuesday morning at daylight I spent about two and a half hours driving around this piece of ground trying to just see like is it worth time to go in there does it show me what I need to see from the outside and I hadn't seen really much i'd seen a couple small bucks moving around um, glassing from vantage points and so i decided it was time to put boots on the ground spend about 30 45 minutes check a couple places that were either going to give me the sign that i wanted to see and little did i know that um, i got about a quarter mile into this piece of ground and this deer was bedded underneath a creek bank 10 yards in front of me and he exploded out of this creek bank in front of me thank god i had the wind in my favor thermals in my favor it was a super strong east wind and i came in from the west and i just laid flat on my belly when he come up out of that creek bank because there was too much grass too much brush he moved over about 30 yards turned around and then was like all right what was that and he spent a little bit of time searching so long story short i i moved off um, looked at on x maps and i moved off because the way he left i thought oh god he's going to try to circle back in and figure it out so I got over to a pinch point that he couldn't get past me, um, and I only had on literally these pants, one base layer, and a vest, and it was felt like 28 degrees with a 20-mile-an-hour stiff wind. Um, I did left everything in the truck but my bow, so I backed into this downfall, freezing my tail off. After about two hours, I was shaking so bad that I was like, even if this deer comes in between the cold and the adrenaline, I can't make a shot. So... I pulled out of there, called my buddy that's hunting with me, and I said, hey, I found a pretty good deer. I think he's a 170-inch deer. Um, you know, let's go see if we can get on him this evening. So we do. We go back in that evening. We sneak in using the creek bank, get up a tree that I finally picked, and he cussed me the whole way up the tree because, like Hunter, I try to get in the most abstract thing I can get into to make sure I can get hid, and he's afraid of heights. So that really made it fun. Um, at 5.30 that night, this deer just appeared out of nowhere in the middle of this cut bean field, and the wind was so hard that when I grunted at him, I literally was almost breaking the reed on my grunt call to get his attention. I got his attention. He quartered to us. I said, all right, you tell me when he gets within range. I don't want to sit and stare at this deer. We'll just see what happens. And so he's running the camera, and the deer comes in, and he goes, he disappeared. And I look up, and I see him tuck into these cedars, and I'm like, what just happened this deer was coming so um he never showed himself the rest of the night next morning i get back in there the thermal switch happened right around nine o'clock and all of a sudden he appears out of the same cedar patch that he went into the night before 
all of this is happening within a 40 yard window. So this deer is within killable range, but I can't get on him because he's either in thick stuff or when he comes out, he's looking back to the, where he was bedded the day before trying to figure out still, I guess, thinking about there was something there and I don't know what it is. I'm not going over there. So I then have to watch this deer for almost a half a mile through cut fields and, and keep going south. And I'm like, all right, so it's been three times now and it's been, you know, from one evening to the next morning and I was frustrated I was I text my buddy and actually called Hunter and I was like I'm gonna tear my set down I'm moving I'm not gonna be able to get on this deer and if he goes back in that same hole um, I'm gonna be ready for him well thankfully there was a buck bedded about from me to that door and I went all right I can't move till he gets down thankfully he had never left or I probably wouldn't have killed this deer and all of a sudden 45 minutes later I look over at him look back up and he's looking down and here comes this buck back across the field so I get excited he's coming right in he comes into 30 yards and then 45s right back into the cedar thicket and disappears again and I'm like you got to be kidding me at this point I'm just deflated and I want to jump out of the tree so that little buck gets up looks into the cedars and freaks out and just comes on a stiff walk right past me and it's like dad's in town I gotta go I gotta get out of here so he comes underneath me on that trail at four and a half yards and I'm like all right that deer's there so I turn downwind away from him grunt real loud kind of roar if you want to say that turn back around and just bet 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 like I'm tending a doe and all of a sudden I can see about 25 yards into this cedar thicket and this tree is just all over the place just getting shredded and I'm like I got him so I get ready, get everything set up, and he comes out about me to those e-bikes, and he's facing me, and I'm like, there's no chance I'm going to get to shoot this deer. And he about faces and walks over to 32 yards, and I was like, all right, at this point, you're not getting out of here. And I won't do it in this while I hold the mic because I'll probably end up falling, but I was leaned out, my tether as far out as I could, and I was literally as far off the tree as I could get to try to get around some trees that were right here to get a shot at him. And while I'm leaned out, not at full draw, just waiting for him to turn, he about faces to come back to me, and I went, I'm busted. Because I'm way out off this tree. I'm not in any cover. And thankfully, he stops at like 25 yards and reaches back to scratch his butt with his horns. And I pull myself back up, get set up in the saddle. And earlier that day, when we talked about the angles earlier, I'd pulled my app out, and I was looking at this trail that come underneath me, and my rangefinder kept saying, like, nine yards or seven yards, and I was like, that's not that far. It's got to be, like, four and a half or five. And for guys that don't know, rangefinders only have so much compensation. Like, 30, 32 degrees is where they tap out on angle compensation. So I changed my rangefinder over to line of sight, had ranged that um, trail, and it said four and a half yards, 52-degree angle. So I pulled my app out looked at what the angle was going to be and it was like 51 or 52 yards is what I had to shoot this deer at so I dialed my side up and he's coming down the trail and he stops and gets behind this like little cedar that's there I come to full draw he continues on and it was like it was written in the script he just stops perfect at four and a half yards I'm bent over and I settled in and Hunter will tell you the last three years my archery career has been a struggle bus of target panic and if you guys have never had that do whatever you can to never have it because it will eat your lunch and it will make you just want to jump out of a tree throw a bow just quit archery completely and I have struggled with it well in this moment it's like my brain went to auto mode and I made the most perfect shot that I have probably ever made and I was in my click for five or six seconds buried my pin in between his shoulder blades and made just this perfect shot and I watched my arrow just bury to the fletchings past him and come into the brisket and I thought I got him well at this point this deer runs in a circle around me 270 degrees and so I'm knocking another arrow I'm getting spun around on the saddle and I'm thinking all right it's I'm gonna get another one in him and he runs through the creek right past me and is just running so fast that I could never get another shot at him and I'm watching him go and I'm like there's 100 there's 150 yards there's 200 yards there's 300 like is this deer gonna fall over and at that point I just thought oh my god what did I do I just screwed up and I immediately pulled out Onyx and I run a map on Onyx and I'm like all right he disappeared at 300 yards in the grass I'm gonna get down and I looked at the map and I'm like oh crap he's got three-eighths of a mile and then he can cross the road and be on public so I bail out of the tree run back to the truck scream up this road turn down the crossroad park my truck in the middle of the road and I'm standing in the ditch with my bow and there's two trails that come out 
And I'm thinking, all right, if he comes through here, I'm going to shoot him again. I'm going to scare him back on the public. I'm going to do anything I can to keep this deer from getting to private. And he never showed up, and I sat there for four hours waiting on some friends to show up because my whole fear was I didn't see this deer go down. The last thing I want to do is go in there and bump him. And so we finally found um, finally found blood where he crossed the bean field, went back into the buffalo grass, and I just moved ahead, made a circle ahead of these guys about 150 yards, and I was standing there watching them trail through thinking, well, if he's not dead and he bumps them, at least I'm going to be far enough ahead that maybe I'll see him again, whatever. Well, when they got to the creek about 80 yards in front of me, they started to turn, and I was like, all right, I know he went that direction. So I started glassing, and lo and behold, I could just see one side sticking up in the grass. And at that point, I hooted real loud and told them, and they're like, oh, you got him? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. So I had not beknownst to me there was a little log in the grass that i was standing next to and i'm about 12 foot up on this uh creek bank and i stepped forward to go down the hill to my buddies and caught my toe on that log and i tumbled and slid all the way back to the creek and my buddy goes man you looked like a drunk saving your beer he said you fell face first but your bow was up in the air the whole way and i'm like well yeah i can't mess that thing up so uh after about four and a half hours i finally got to put my hands on him and i mean totally blown away at this deer and i'd never seen him i'd never been on this piece of ground and i killed him 26 hours from the the minute that i found him and to give everybody an idea uh, this deer was just officially scored here at the show by buckmasters and it scored officially 202 eighths inches as a typical which is the new state record for kansas and it was killed on public land by one of our guest speakers josh charlinger so congratulations